We have made it all the way through the book of Esther. The story comes to an end. Our sermon series comes to an end this morning, and everything has been turned upside down. Esther, who started as somewhat of an insignificant Jewish woman living in Persia, is now queen over the entire empire. Haman, who was second in command to the king, who wanted to kill Esther's cousin Mordecai and all of the Jews, has himself been killed in the last chapter. Mordecai has been uh, elevated to become second in command to the king. Everything has been turned on its head. But two questions remain. How will this uh, edict against the Jews finally be resolved? And so what? So what that this all happened? The author answers both of those questions this morning. Uh, And as Candy reads from chapter 9 and chapter 10, I want you to ask yourself, what power does this have for you? Does it have any power for your life? Or is this nothing more than mere history? Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. From from Esther chapters 9 and 10. Now in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, the 10 sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relieved from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar, and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agatite, the son of Hamadetha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. Therefore they called these days Purim after the term pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they had faced in this matter, and of what, they, of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. 
King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the recording of these events that happened in history. We thank you that they matter to us, even though we are ex- uh, exceedingly removed from them. We ask that you would help us to see the truths of your gospel contained in this book. We ask that you would send your spirit to us to help us believe the truths that it proclaims to us. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. I pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. Hotel Rwanda is one of my favorite films, a movie based on historical events. A man named Paul Rasusabagina was a hotel manager in Kigali, Rwanda in 1996 when the genocide took place. And he sheltered uh, members of both the Hutu and Tutsi tribe in the hotel to protect them. At the beginning of the movie, there are some uh, Western journalists and a few UN peacekeepers staying at the hotel. And one of these journalists, a videographer, captures video of some of the first murders taking place during the genocide. And Paul walks into the lobby as this man is watching this terrible footage. And he says, Paul, I'm so sorry. And Paul says, no, this is good. You can send this back home, back to the West. People will see, they'll be horrified, and then they'll send help. They'll come and they'll protect us. And this videographer looks at Paul and he says, no, Paul, that's not what's going to happen. I'll send it back. People will see it. But they'll say, oh, man, that's terrible. And then they'll just go back to eating their dinner. It's a very accurate and very sharp critique of how unaffected we can be by emotionally charged situations that we're removed from geographically or, in the case of the book of Esther, historically. It's easy for us to read and hear about the impending doom of the Jews, about the amazing, miraculous rescue that they experienced, and for us to say, hooray, they didn't die. What's next? And I don't think it's just us, 21st century Americans. I don't think it's just because of our context. But I think this is true of humans in general. And I I think that because of what we see in this passage Mordecai urges the Jews to do something which will allow these events to continue to impact their lives throughout time, no matter how far removed they are from the original events, a practice which we can use, which can be helpful for us to engage and re-engage in the way God is working and has worked in our own story. See, the Jews in Persia, they experienced an amazing deliverance. A complete upending of their expectations. And Mordecai encourages them not simply to go back to the way things were. Back to their regularly scheduled lives. But instead to celebrate their deliverance. To sit in it and celebrate it. And the Jews, knowing the power of celebration, commit themselves to revisit this deliverance over and over again, year after year. Allowing it to reshape their lives. Deliverance, celebration, repeat. That's what we see in this passage. That's what God is inviting us to participate in this morning. Deliverance, 
celebration, repeat. We're going to start by looking at this idea of deliverance. Now Haman, if you remember, was killed in the last chapter, executed for plotting to kill the queen and all of her people. But the reality is the law that he enacted still hung over the Jewish people. Through the power of the king, Haman uh, issued a law saying that on the 13th day of the 12th month, all of the people in all 127 provinces of the Persian Empire could rise up and kill, destroy, and annihilate the Jews and take all of their goods. Does that have any power for you? Does that cause any emotional stir up in your heart? All of the Jews from Ethiopia to India were going to be slaughtered. Does that cause any pain? Is there anything stirring in you? If you're like me, the reality is that sounds like just history. Nothing more than facts. Well, maybe we're too far removed from it, you might say. It's happened so long ago that it doesn't really have any import to us today. What if this was closer? November 9th, 1938, 80 years ago, the government of Germany conspired together to create spontaneous demonstrations. In two nights, over 1,000 synagogues were burned or destroyed. 75,000 Jewish businesses were vandalized. At least 90 Jews were killed. Countless Jewish hospitals, Jewish homes, Jewish schools, and cemeteries were vandalized on nights that came to be known as Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. And on top of all of that, the German government arrested 30,000 Jewish men aged 16 to 60 And because that was so many people, the jails couldn't hold them all. They took them to holding facilities that they had just expanded, known as Dachau and Buchenwald. This was just 80 years ago. The exact same government-sanctioned extermination of the Jews. Does that have any power over us? Does that cause any emotional stirring in you? Maybe not. Maybe the reality is we've hardened ourselves from historical atrocity. We don't want the pain of the past to affect us today, so when we hear things like that, it becomes nothing more than rote history. But the story of Esther doesn't end with atrocity. It ends with deliverance. Haman's edict was put into place. People were going to kill all of the Jews, and there was nothing the king could do about it. He couldn't rewrite the law. Once it was issued, it was issued. But he allowed Esther and Mordecai to write new laws that would make it harder for Haman's laws to be enacted. And that's what they did. State-sanctioned self-defense. And that's what we see. Verse 1, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. This is a truly amazing turnaround. Not just for this story, but for the whole of the the book of Esther. Think about this. The first two Jews that we meet in the story of Esther don't even want to be identified as Jews. Mordecai tells Esther not to tell anybody that she's a Jew. And then what we see is this emotional roller coaster throughout the following years. Mordecai is discovered to be a Jew. And then all the Jews are put under this death sentence. Esther, too, proclaims herself to be a Jew. And then through God's working in the background, secretly, softly, quietly, 
the people of Persia, who had nothing to do with this conflict, start to find favor with the Jews. There are many who align themselves with the Jewish people to help them defend themselves. And it's through this deliverance that they gain mastery over those who would inflict harm on them. Tells us in this passage, in Susa, the capital city, 500 men were killed, including the 10 grown sons of Haman. Verse 16, now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. Does that have any power over you? Does that elicit any kind of emotional response? Is there any delight and celebration and joy in that? That last phrase, they laid no hands to the plunder, is important. It's repeated twice in chapter 9. And and what that means, the author is drawing our attention to the fact that the law written by Esther and Mordecai said the Jews could defend themselves and take any of the plunder from those that they killed. However, they laid no hands on the plunder. This is the author's way of telling us the Jews only did what was necessary to defend themselves. They only defended themselves to the tune of 75,000 lives. That means that at least 75,000 people wanted to kill the Jews from Ethiopia to India, and God delivered them. Is that amazing to you? What about the deliverance in your own story? Is that amazing to you? Does that bring up any joy for you? And maybe you're sitting there this morning and thinking, I don't know what deliverance to look to. Yeah, I I think it's hard for us because we don't let emotionally charged situations affect us. Maybe this morning asking the question about deliverance in your life draws up too much pain based on what you might have been delivered from. Maybe when you look back on your life, all you can think is, how come everybody else is getting deliverance and I'm not being delivered at all? And if either of those is true for you this morning, I'm so sorry. But I also want to declare over you that for each of us sitting here this morning, deliverance is offered through the cross of Jesus. The edict of sin that is put on us because of our sin, the edict of death, has been overwritten by the death of Jesus. The death that we deserved, he died. And he offers us new life through his resurrection. And all we have to do to obtain this deliverance is, according to Paul in Romans 9, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he rose from the dead and we will be saved. Deliverance is offered to us. And whether that's the first time that you've heard that good news or the thousandth time, The temptation for all of us this morning is to finish up here, to walk out the doors, grab a bagel and some coffee, say a few hellos, and just go back to our regularly scheduled lives. This deliverance that is offered to us, our temptation is to not let it affect us. But the Bible invites us, God invites us to sit in it, to dwell on the power of God's deliverance of us, his people, And to actually celebrate it, he invites us into celebration. On the 13th day of the 12th month, it came and went. The Jews were delivered from their enemies, and Mordecai records this. And he also sends out letters to all of the Jews in the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire, 
to, for them to keep both the 14th day and the 15th day, verse 22, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days for feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. See, this funny thing happened. On the 13th day, as people began to rise up against the Jews, in 126 of the provinces, the Jews successfully defended themselves. And they woke up on the 14th day and began to celebrate. But in that one other province, in the capital of Susa, the Jews woke up on the 14th day and had to continue to defend themselves. They couldn't celebrate. They had to keep fighting. And so when they woke up in Susa on the 15th day ready to celebrate... Mordecai sent letters to all of the rural Jews saying, don't stop celebrating. Keep celebrating this deliverance. Continue to rejoice in what God has done. Continue to see the miraculous way God has intervened for us through Esther, who has become queen. Through the insomnia of the king that made him look into the accounts of the good deeds to see Mordecai to lift Mordecai and promote him. Recognize that it was God using Haman's own pride against him. Celebrate the fact that just when we thought it was lights out, God ripped open the shutters and the bright shining light of new day came in. Celebrate. Don't just go on. Celebrate. When I was in seminary, uh, a friend of mine who was also a seminary student walked into class one day and he flipped a coin to me. And of course, I, I tried to catch it, dropped it on the ground, picked it up, uh, and I looked at it and it was very strange. It just had the number one on it. And I, I looked up at him and I, I asked, what is this? And this huge smile came across his face. And he said, this is my one month sober chip. I was like, I, I didn't even know that you were struggling with anything. And he explained that ever since his mom had died, he had been struggling by, uh, to numb the pain through drinking until his wife found out and he had started going uh, to AA meetings. And this was the day that he could proclaim that he had been 30 days sober, a day that he was wanting to celebrate. Now, he wasn't willing to share the struggle with any of us, but he knew something powerful. Celebration has to be done with others. Celebration is done in community. The celebration feast of the deliverance of the Jews in Persia happened within their communities, between families, the giving of food between friends, and giving gifts to the poor so that everybody, poor or wealthy, could celebrate the fact that God had delivered them. Celebration takes place in, in community. And we're invited, uh, we're encouraged, excuse me, to invite others to celebrate the ways that we've been delivered. Invite others to celebrate with us and help celebrate how God has delivered us. Now, uh, being honest, this is, is actually really hard for me. Celebration is, is hard for me. I'm more of a get to work, get all the work done, and then relax, then have fun. So if there's an opportunity to celebrate something, my first response is, what else could I be doing? I need people like Nicole, my wife, who helps me remember their, their need to stop and to celebrate. Bob, Wilson, people that I work with, my friends, I need community to help me stop and celebrate. I think that that's true for all of us. I think that celebrating is harder than we'd like to admit. Not the, the feasting and the gladness, the sending of gifts part. I think we get that. 
but doing that as a response to God's deliverance. Now, before you start rolling your eyes and assuming that I'm going to proclaim, keep Christ in Christmas, I want you to ask yourself this question. How many times have you invited someone to rejoice over the fact that a confrontation you were terrified of turned out to not be so bad? How many people know that three years ago to the day you were expecting a terrible diagnosis, but instead got a call telling you that that thing was benign? Do you invite anybody in to celebrate God's little or big deliverances in your life? What about you just for yourself? Do you allow yourself to sit in the reality that God has entered into your story and delivered you? Do you allow yourself to celebrate the fact that God has moved you from a place of hopelessness into a stable job? That God has delivered you out of that broken relationship? That God has moved you from a place of loneliness into a family of friends? Do you allow yourself to celebrate that? Or do you just move on? See, I see this all the time. I do this all the time myself. My response is, oh man, I didn't expect for that to happen. What's next? What do I need to do now? God invites us to observe, to know the ways that he has intervened in our stories, in our lives, and uh, delivered us. And he invites us to celebrate that, no matter how small, no matter how big, no matter how long after the event we realize, oh wait, that was God. He calls us to celebrate it. Because the the truth is, the further we get from that deliverance, from that event, the harder it is to be impacted by it. Which is why the Jews in this passage don't just celebrate this one time. But they see the deliverance, they celebrate, and then they repeat. See, the Jews gave these days of feasting a name, Purim. Purim uh, is the plural word of the, the Hebrew word pur, which are dice that are cast, right? And if you remember earlier in the story, Haman was trying to figure out when was the appropriate time to kill all the Jews. So he cast lots and it came up the 13th day of the 12th month. And he was seeking the, the guidance of the spirits and God is the one who ordained for that to be the day, not for the destruction of the Jews, but for their deliverance. And so they've named these days the Feasts of Purim, literally mocking the fact that Haman thought he was going to destroy the Jews, but God intervened through those pur, through the dice, to proclaim that be the day they delivered. It's the Feast of Lotteries. And every year, Jews gather to celebrate their deliverance from the hand of Haman. Verse 27, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written, and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. And they do. This past Wednesday and Thursday was Purim. Jews all over the world gathered and celebrated the deliverance from Haman. Still, to this day, 2,500 years later, And it's a crazy festival. It's a time of great celebration and joy, of feasting, 
they gather together, the story of Esther is read, and anytime the name Haman is read, they make tons of noise, they shout, they bang noisemakers in order to make sure no one hears the name Haman ever again. They eat food, they share food, and the Mishnah, which is the explanation of the Jewish law, proclaims that Jews should mellow themselves with drink. We all know what that means, but to mellow themselves to the point where it's hard to discern the difference between the phrase, blessed be Mordecai and cursed be Haman. That's a lot of mellowing, (laughs) right? This is a celebration, and if we were to be there, we would think that they were delivered from Haman yesterday. They are so engaged with the deliverance that took place 2,500 years ago that we would think they were just delivered from Haman's hand yesterday. Jonathan Sachs is a rabbi who was the former head of the Jewish people in the British Commonwealth. And he writes this about Purim on his blog. He wrote this last year. Precisely because the threat was so serious, you refuse to be serious. And in that refusal, you are doing something very serious indeed. You are denying your enemies a victory. You are declaring that you will not be intimidated. As the date of the scheduled destruction approaches, you surround yourself with the single most effective antidote to fear, joy in life itself. As the three-sentence summary of the Jewish history puts it, they tried to destroy us, we survived, let's eat. Humor is the Jewish way of defeating hate. What you can laugh at, you cannot be held captive by. What is God inviting you to celebrate? What is he inviting you to look at, to know that this was God's intervention in your life, and to celebrate and repeat that celebration over and over again in order to stay engaged with God's activity in your life? God's deliverance of his people from Haman 2,500 years ago is still powerful precisely because the Jews have committed themselves to celebrating it throughout history, to return each year to God's miraculous deliverance, re-engaging with their potential genocide and the subtle, soft, silent ways God changed it around and upended it completely. This allows Jews who are geographically and historically separated from this event to still be changed by it and shaped by it. The same is true for us. God invites us to repeatedly celebrate the ways that he has already delivered us, that he is in the process of delivering us, to come back to what he has done over and over again and to be shaped by it, not just at the time that it happens, But every year, every time we celebrate, what does that even look like practically? How are we supposed to do this? Well, I have three points of application as we close. And the first is going to take place in just a few minutes. We're going to come to this celebratory feast. God delivering his people from the death uh, of sin that we deserved through the death of Jesus. When you come to the table, do you celebrate Do you recognize the gravity of your sin, what you really deserved, and the joy brought to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus? God invites us to come and to celebrate. And I would encourage you to pray as you prepare your heart to receive the Lord's Supper. 
that God would enable you to celebrate. Second, after the service, as we gather uh, to have some refreshments, Claude and Francois have brought generously a special treat, some hamantashen. Hamantashen uh, is uh, the name, the name means uh, Haman's pockets. And this is a traditional Jewish uh, cookie that mocks Haman's full pockets as he's prepared to pay for the death of the Jews. Little cookies that are filled uh, with uh, deliciousness on the inside. I would encourage you, whether you are able to grab one of those or not, to take that time to share with other people ways that God has delivered you. Something quick, something small maybe, and to hear about God working in the lives of other people. This is a great, unique opportunity to rejoice in the fact that each one of us has experienced deliverance from God in some way. And finally, Easter is coming in four weeks. And I think Easter is one day that we actually do a pretty good job of celebrating God's deliverance of his people. But my question is, how can we make our celebration of God's deliverance more personal, more about how God has delivered us? Maybe it looks like having a big family meal. Maybe it looks like inviting other families together, sitting around the table and and telling stories of the darkness that God has brought us out of. Maybe it looks like spending an extended time of rejoicing and praying, thanking God for the ways that he has delivered us. I'm not really sure. But what I see in this passage, what we see throughout all of Scripture, is that God invites us to look back at our lives, to see the ways that he has already delivered us, to see his fingerprints all over the course of our lives, to know that he has delivered us, and to come and celebrate that. And it's through that repeated celebration that God, through the power of his spirit, continues to shape and reshape us. He invites us to do it at his table. He invites us to do it in the midst of community. Let's celebrate God's deliverance with each other. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the deliverance that you brought to us through the death and resurrection of your son Jesus. We thank you for the other ways that you have delivered us from the beginning of our lives to this day. Whether we know it was you or not, whether we can proclaim, look at what God has done, or we just see a a haphazard series of coincidences, help us to know and to believe that your hands have been guiding us throughout our lives, that any deliverance that we have experienced is you at work in our lives. And help us to celebrate that. God, we ask that as we do, as we trust you to celebrate, that you would change us through the power of your spirit. We thank you for that invitation. Invitation to celebrate what you have done in our doing. We pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.